Have you ever sat through a Release Society lesson, heard an inspirational story about a woman who was born decades or even centuries before you, then wondered how in the world could her life possibly be relevant to yours? Well, that's what this podcast is all about. You'll hear parts of some prominent talks given by women throughout the history of the church. Hopefully, along the way, you'll be able to see how their experiences can apply to you. Welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women Podcast. I'm your host, Shaylin Back, and today we're here with two guests. We have Jenny Reeder, who's a 19th century women's historian in the Church History Department. Welcome, Jenny. Hello. And we have Katie Perez with us, and Katie has read the discourses in At the Pulpit, and so she's here to provide her um, insight and experience and ask any questions that she has. So welcome, Katie. Thanks. So today, the uh, discourse that we're going to be discussing is by Emma N. Goddard, and it's called Thou shalt love thy neighbor. It was given 100 years ago, so in 1918, at a conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. So let's talk about Emma Goddard. Emma Goddard has an interesting background, and not your typical early Latter-day Saint background. She was born in England, and her parents joined the church in England with her younger brother, And Emma and her sisters, her two older sisters, decided to join a local Baptist congregation. And I don't know if that was out of rebellion or whatever, but they did not join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So their parents and their brother left and came to Utah, and the three girls worked in a factory in England. And then after about four years, they became restless without their parents. I think they were probably homesick. And so they decided to join the family. Well, and I think that Emma was like 50, around 14 or 15 at the time. So I think that would be hard. Yeah, it was. And she just had her two older sisters. So I would miss my parents too. So and then when they got to Utah, what happened then? So they arrived in um, Utah. They were the She and her sisters were baptized. And they settled with their family in Meadow, uh, Millard County in Utah, which is south of Salt Lake City. And then she taught school for several years. One of her sisters married a man named Benjamin Goddard, and she worked with him. He was the principal of, of the school where she taught and then ended up marrying him as a plural wife. So she and her sister were both married to the same man. Okay, and my question is, was that pretty typical at the time with plural marriage? Did sisters marry the same man frequently or no? I think it was pretty typical. Okay. I think it was pretty typical, and I think it probably made it a little bit easier. You're with your sister. Mm -hmm. So this talk was given in 1918, and it was the annual conference of the Young Ladies Mutual Improvement Association and the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association, which was held every year in June in Salt Lake City. Okay, and she was on the general board. Yes. Tell us what was going on in the United States at this time in the world, really. This is really a crazy time. The World War I started in Europe in 1914, so it had been going on for four years. And the United States um, entered the war in April of 1917. So they'd been hearing all about this war, and they ended up joining the war, joining the Allied forces, because Germans had started Uh, bombing merchant ships that were crossing the Atlantic. So the war is going on, and this is a huge war. People often called it the war to end all wars or the Great War. Um, Utah actually had quite a role in this war. There were 21,000 individuals from Utah who served in the United States Armed Forces, 
which included 15,000 Latter-day Saint men and young men. Wow. So the title of her talk is Thou Shalt Love Thy Neighbor. And it's interesting how she gives that in the context of knowing what's going on in, in the world and especially at Utah at this, at this time. So she gives scriptural examples, emphasizing this commandment to love others and serve others, especially loving our neighbors. And listen to this quote that she says, if all Christian nations had been guided by this law given by the master as a rule of life for all of his followers, there would have been no war or contention, but peace on earth and goodwill to men would have prevailed. And then she continues that as a consequence of the violation of this law, untold misery, sorrow, and death now exist in the world. And who can tell when the end will be? What were your thoughts when you read about this statement? I think it makes war all the more present. And you recognize what happens when you do violate the commandments of God and how there is no peace on earth when there is no love on earth. That's one of the things that I love about her talk and about her perspective. So the conference that she was speaking at had the theme, We Stand for Service to God and Country. And obviously they're in America, but it's this idea that permeates throughout the world, really, that if we love our neighbors, then we will have peace. And then I thought this was interesting because she's speaking to leaders of youth, and she actually says that the youth are our neighbors. So I just thought that was neat that she's talking about the world as a whole, you know, loving our neighbors and and that being a great commandment with blessings and consequences, but then that the youth are our neighbors. And so what does she say we need to do for the youth? She says that we need to be their neighbors, that we need to know them and love them and understand where they're coming from. She also talks about how important it is not to judge them but to recognize what they're doing and who they are and where they are. Also, at the same time that this war is happening, 1918 had the world's greatest flu epidemic, which started in June. The worst month was October, so it was a couple of months after this conference. But there was a lot of sickness going on. And so I think she also recognized this is a time fraught with difficulty And youth are probably scared and probably acting out or not acting at all. And it's a time to listen to them, to hear them and hear their concerns and their voices and to love them and care for them. Do you think that's happening today with youth leaders? You know what I do? And as I was reading this talk again, I I thought a lot about our ministry program because Mm -hmm. I feel like this really applies to ministry It helps us to understand our role as ministers, not just as youth leaders or as members of the church, but as ministers in loving people and coming to know them and serving them and hearing them and listening to them. So I was a young woman leader for about two months (laughs) before my husband and I kind of uh, suddenly moved when when we found a home that we wanted. But I was just wondering if either of you have been youth leaders and if you wouldn't mind just kind of telling us that about that experience. I actually have been a young women's president in an inner city ward and had a really eye-opening experience, I guess. We didn't have very many young women in the ward that were active, and one of them was really struggling with a lot of things. And my number one priority was to make our young women meetings and activities a place where she felt safe and where she felt loved and heard and understood. And she and I still maintain a relationship to this day. And I I love seeing where she's going. That just reminded me when 
so I'm I'm from Utah and that's where my husband and I currently live. And I just see my young women leaders kind of frequently and my husband's just like how many young women leaders did you have because <laughs> I just became so close to them and I just feel like they're my friends and so I joke with them too that we're friends more than being my leader because I did feel that from them I, I think I was really fortunate in that I felt like they treated me as their neighbor and friend and would have done anything for me so thinking about this context of this being given a hundred years ago uh, listen to what Emma says They're young and inexperienced and naturally love freedom and have their own ideas of obtaining pleasure. We must guide and counsel them in this adolescent period of their lives and help them to form strong and vigorous characters. We must enter the trenches of their temptations and help them to cope with and overcome them. We must study them and try to understand them. For often, if we did, we would find a way to the heart of the apparently most careless and indifferent. And I wanted to ask you, what do you you think about entering the trenches of temptation. How do, what do you think that means? Well, first of all, I think that's a really significant word with World War I warfare because trenches became a huge part of how the Allied forces fought against the, the Axis forces. So you have these trenches where they would dig down and, and hold out until they could gain more ground. And so I think when she says getting into the trenches, she means really being close to, and the trenches were a horrible experience. They were muddy. There were mice and rats. Um, there was sickness. Um, but I think what she means is that she's, they're getting into it. They're, they know what these youth are going through and how hard it is. They're doing it together. So I really love this quote. And so I want to hear what you think about this. She says, let us show our young people the glory of righteousness rather than the hideousness of sin, that the living of gospel law brings lasting joy and peace rather than the anguish that follows the wasted life. It's a great quote. And I think she's, in a way, she's seen that herself. I mean, she obviously made the choice to become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she's obviously seen the the glory of it. And she's also seen the difficult things that are happening in the world at that time, whether that be with war or with the flu. But she also saw the ability to get in the trenches and to do something. This was also a conference where the leaders of the youth were encouraged to participate in things on the home side, to, to, to do things that would help support the war. But the best way that they could do that for her was with the youth and to teach them and to help them see that there was something more than this tragic event of this day. But there were there was something beyond that. Because I imagine for the male youth, it's like their future could be serving right. in this war and how terrifying that would be. And then for the the young women, what was their role? So they did a lot of different things. They worked with Liberty Bonds and the American Red Cross and the United War Work Campaign. Um, They also had local gardens to help with food production. But I think the biggest thing, she mentions this too, is to to be there for the young men when they come home and to write to them and to support them. It's to be in the trenches with them in the sense that obviously they're not in the battles of war, but they are supportive and that they care about them and that they will be there for them when they return. So, Katie, I loved when you said that, you know, you were reading the talk from the perspective of being a parent of, you know, they're not youth yet. You said they're younger. But I'm wondering, how do you do that? How best do you teach 
your kids? So I actually daily, I'll do positive affirmations with my daughter on the way to school. And so we have this little kind of thing that we do every morning and it's like, we'll be in the car driving and I'm like, I am smart. And she repeats after me, I am brave. I am, you know, nice to others, even if they're not nice to me. And then I say, today's going to be a good day. Now smile. And my son starts doing it now too. And I feel like it just, I don't know. I feel like it helps her get a sense of who she is and how she should be with others. And that's kind of my way of teaching. I love that. That really is to me focusing on the positive like Emma is doing in this talk and, you know, showing them the blessings of life and how you can have a great life, you know, and not focusing on the hideousness of sin, as she calls it. So in conclusion, I just want to share this quote from her saying how we have to lead the youth by example. She says, we must be earnest and sincere, ever showing by our own examples that we believe the gospel ourselves, that we love it with all our hearts and souls and are striving every day to live by its precepts. And so I think that we can do that as leaders of the youth in any calling that we have in primary, you know, as mothers, as friends, as siblings, which we've talked about as well. So I was wondering, Jenny, why do you think this address was included in At the Pulpit? I love that this is a timeless message, number one. But number two, I think while we tried not to choose talks that were historically bound, but this one, even though it is World War One, I, I think it teaches us so much about how to deal with the violence and the lack of unity, the lack of community that we see in our world today. And I think it means loving and getting to know each other. I love that word that she's encouraging these people to be earnest. And I think that means to be sincere and coming to know each other and to recognize the battles that we all face. So I do think a lot of the challenges are different, but a lot of them are the same. A lot Mm -hmm. of those challenges and issues that we have are timeless. And I just appreciated reading this address and learning a little bit more about Emma Goddard. And we hope that our audience today reads along with us uh, these incredible talks that are found in At the Pulpit. At the Pulpit can be found on your Gospel Library app or at churchhistorianspress.org. And Jenny and Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. I really gained a lot from your experience and from your insights. I'm your host, Shaylin Back. Thanks for listening.